Good morning, Grinders. Welcome to the DFS pregame show here on Roto Grinders. I'm Jordan Cooper, a.k.a. Blenderhead. Blenderhead Steve, if you want to follow me there on Twitter. And uh, it's Monday. So you know what we do on Monday. It's Mondays with McCool. James McCool, the co-author with me on the Theory of Daily Fantasy Sports. 15-hour audio DFS masterclass you can pick up at theoryofdfs.com. We're here answering your questions in the chat. As usual, I see you guys in there. I see you guys in there. I see a bunch of you in there. Hit that thumbs up button on your way in the door. Uh, keep my keep my water cold. I don't got any apple juice today. Hit the subscribe button if you're new. Hit the notification bell to know when we go live. James, uh, the past the past week has not been very kind to me. I don't know. I, I don't know how been, you've been doing because remember you're doing you're doing that bankroll challenge. I am. Uh, I, I haven't I haven't seen I haven't seen screenshots recently. No. I'm assuming I'm assuming you're you're bleeding away like I am. Yes. um i mean it it, too i've had a lot of one percent finishes i've had like i think out of the last six slates i've maybe had 18 or 19 top one percent finishes which is pretty good uh all things considered but like i'm finishing in like 30th or like 29th or like i had one the other day where i was in first place until like the last like six minutes or something like that. And then I dropped down to like 50th because a chalk home run hit or something. It might've been the Harrison Bader grand slam or something like that. But like the 1% finishes, 1% finishes, 1% finishes, but nothing that is like significant. So I don't, I haven't really been bleeding away. I think that I've gained like 2% ROI or something like that over the last week. It hasn't been terrible, but it could have been much better. Well, I mean, gaining 2% ROI is, it's better than normal. That that's not the normal. No, it's not. No, I I fully expect to lose. I think I on average I lose about three percent of my total bankroll each. Three percent of my dynamic bankroll, like personally, just about. That, that's still that's still pretty low. Yeah, that's that's usually where I'm at. I mean, are you are you are you just having a diversified set? More, I mean, I diversify more than many. Uh, I don't, well, no, I don't diversify a lot. Like the, the slate. Well, I mean, what kind of, I mean, what kind are you play? Is this the 20 max? No, it's, it's the 150. It's mini max. Oh, the mini max. But yeah. I mean, the mini max has this, has a similar structure to. Yeah. It's no, a no, pretty no. brutal payout. But I, I usually. Still... Out if, if you're getting, if you're getting like negative, if you're, if you're averaging a negative 3% daily, that's, I mean, that's to me, that's high. To me, yeah. I mean, if you're if you're playing well, typically like like minus twenty percent. Yeah, no. I mean, well, still beating the rake. No, I'm not beating the rake. Like I am. So if I have a bad day, if I'm playing, because I'm playing fifty dollars per slate right now in the bankroll challenge. So, right, so, that, I, so you're playing fifty lineups into the one dollar minimax. Yes. Yeah. So okay. if so I, I would have, think on, I would think on average you're getting on average you're getting forty back. No, 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 no. I, I'm, I'm losing like three, like two, 2.4 to 3% of my entire of your, like, bankroll overall. Oh. So like I'm returning on average between so like, how, how, no, no, no. So, so how much percentage of your bankroll are you playing? Uh, around 4%, 4%. So oh, I'm so losing like 80% of my life. On a, on a slate. Oh, really? Oh, okay. So you're playing much higher bear. Okay. Yeah. That's yeah. Yeah. Opposite. I thought you meant you're losing four percent of what you put in daily. Oh. <laughs> no, right? That's no, no, why I'm no, like no. you're beating the rake if you do. Yeah, that. I, would, I don't even I know how you're doing that. I'd be crushing. No, I lose. Okay, like so you're 80%. averaging my, like minus eighty percent per slate. Yes, on on what I have in play, I am averaging around eighty percent loss. Oh, so I'm it's the complete opposite of what I just accused. Right. Of you diversifying too much. No, it's, it's, it's more the fact that you're. I mean, I'm not saying that it's wrong. It's just that. You're more likely to just like I pick my spots, and if they don't hit, then it's minus eighty percent, and that's it. Yeah, typically I'm on. I, I have typically really high exposure to like three, maybe four teams. So I think that I have somewhere between like thirty percent of my lineups have three different teams, or twenty-five to thirty percent of my lineups have three different teams, 
And then I drop down, I do one or two hedge stacks against really high owned pitchers, whether they're my own high owned pitchers or like the field. And then I kind of like spread out to things that like, okay, the Padres are chalk. I'll have the Padres lineup. Uh, the Tigers are up against a good pitcher. Like I'll have a Tigers lineup, whatever. So I'm, I'm usually pretty, my core is usually pretty strong. So I'm either returning somewhere between like 10 to $17 on average on $50 in play, or I'm getting 1% finishes that hopefully soon end up giving me another bank. Uh, they, they haven't been lately, but I have been getting the 1% finishes. So it's just, it's a matter of time. Well, do you, do you think that you should be, should continue to be more diversified? So I don't, I don't know that I want to be more diversified. I've played this way for a long time and it's worked out for me pretty well just because I, I take stands on the right spots. You and I talk a lot about having plus EV lineups and plus EV spots and focusing on teams that are plus EV. And um, I usually just try to give myself as many combinations of the highest plus EV spots that I can. Um, like if I think that a team is significantly under own, like if in my models uh, yesterday, the Phillies were a team that were significantly under own for their spot against Blake Snell, who is not actually Blake Snell. So I had a bunch of Phillies yesterday because it was the highest expected value spot in my models. Um, and I, I just want to be able to focus on the spots where I think that I have the biggest edge. I do diversify out and I do hedge. Uh, so that's where a lot of my diversification comes from is covering my own bases rather than covering all of the bases on the slate, if that makes sense. Uh, I don't really like diversifying a lot in my lineups just because I think that with how much variance there is on bats and how much variance there is on any individual team on any individual slate, if I think that there are good spots and good teams, I'd like to try to attack those teams with as much equity as I can. Um, if that's wrong, then that's wrong. But I, I think that it's something that when you think about the way that baseball works and the way that hitters work, uh, and the way that event oriented sports work in general, it's not always Ronald Acuna that hits the grand slam. You know, sometimes it's Albert Almonte. Sometimes it's, uh, Freddie Freeman, where you're prioritizing all of your money into the outfield and third base spot, you know, have money for Freddie Freeman. So I like to try to cover bases on teams rather than cover bases across the slate. Yeah, but what happens if the, the, the combinations that you're trying to make? So, like, what I mean by diversifying, I'm not saying to, like, oh, I'm going to play negative EV lineups for the sake of having extra lineups that yeah. could get there. I'm talking about the instances where, like, we let's say we have a slate where, like, cores is chalky, right? Like, and these this two-pitcher set is chalky type of thing. Like, if I'm going to go off the board... Like if you if you think in terms of uh if you think in terms of like the Phillies example, I don't know, I didn't play yesterday. Sure. But like whatever the chalk team is with the Phillies, you could play lineups with them because it's still plus EV. Right. So let's say let's say you pick out four teams that are, you know, underowned relative to their ceiling probability, which we would consider plus EV stacks. And let's say there are four teams that are overowned, right? The Blue Jays are chalk, right? Or or some other pitcher. Like some so many people are like, well, I can't play, I can't play the Blue Jays because they're minus EV. It's like they're still one of the higher probability facts. Mm-hmm. It's just that they're going to be overowned. Now, what I mean by diversification is that my Phillies, I'd still want with the blue, like having the Phillies in my lineup automatically give me the leverage that I need that I, that I could still play the blue Jays. Mm-hmm. But if you're just selecting four under own teams and going, how do I combine as many, you know, as many permutations and co- combinations of that. And you're failing to, you know, like, well, I'm also going to fade the chalk pitcher. Like that's what I, to me, that's what I mean by when I play 150 lineups and I say, well, I'm going to still have the chalk blue Jays, Yeah, but it's unlikely that I have the chalk. It's unlikely that, on DraftKings, for instance, I have Vlad, Vajet, Teoscar, Semi, like whatever the chalk combination of that as a, like a five-man stack. I may not have any of those, but I may still have plenty of like Vlad, Biggio, Grichuk, 
three mans that go along with yeah. some other some other five man stack that is that is all like three percent owned. Like and, that, to and, me, that to me that's what I mean by diversifying your lineups. Where, like, yes, you may have higher EV lineups. This is this is this is the instance what we're talking about. Where if you ran this out a hundred thousand times, right? We exp- we explain this in the course. You run something out a hundred thousand times, you get an, an expected value of like that line. Like if you simulated out one lineup a hundred thousand times, you'd be like, this would be your return. And then you divide that by the number of trials to get like the dollar amount of like a, a one dollar entry equals a dollar and twenty-four on average, right? So that would be the EV at the end at the end of the line after a hundred thousand trials. But to get that average. The 100,000 trials could be, you know, three times you bink and the other times you lose. Mm-hmm. And the three binks are obviously a ton of money. And then you average that out and you, you're, the EV is $1.24. And then you have another lineup that may only bink once, but also comes in the top 1% a bunch of times for 20th place or something like that, where it's still a do- it's still $1.24 at the end. Yeah. So like, you have more likelihood of quote winning, right? With mm-hmm. the first one, but over the over the course of time, the first and the second one provide you with the same amount of expected value, but the second one is less variant. So while you could still play the high variant lineups with the same expected value, would you want to play f- out of 50? Would you want to play 50 of them? No, and I don't. And I don't, I, I had, so yesterday I said that I was focusing on the Phillies and I was focusing on the Royals. So those, those are the two teams. If I was looking at my models, uh, the Royals had a leverage score of 42%, which is highest on the slate. And the Phillies had a leverage score of 35%, which was second highest. So I had a bunch of them. Uh, the White Sox had a leverage score of negative 62%. So they were, the second lowest leverage on the slate, like the second highest negative leverage on the slate. Right. But how high of a probability were they? They, they were very good. So they okay. had a, a percent chance of scoring eight plus runs of 23% and had a 9.4% chance of being the top scoring team in my models. And I had they, basically your leverage score shows that uh, while they are high probability, they're also going to be over. Yes. Yeah, exactly. But I had plenty of white socks. Like here's a lineup where I had, it was Charlie Morton, Garrett Cole, who Charlie Morton projected for 42% ownership, Garrett Cole for 20. And then it was a 5-3 of White Sox Royals. So like the aggregate projected ownership was only 120%. But I still had that White Sox. I still had a, a very popular chalky SP combo. Um, here's another one with Phillies where I had Garrett Cole and Freddie Peralta, basically the same projected ownership. Um with the aggregate ownership, it was a 4-4 of Phillies White Sox with 135% projected aggregate ownership. So like you were just saying, you don't have to fade the popular teams. You just have to make sure that you're pairing a team that is very negative leverage, like the White Sox, who are overowned, with a team that is very positive leverage. So like the Royals and the White Sox were a fantastic combination yesterday because the Royals were very positive expected value, very positive leverage. And then the White Sox are very negative leverage, but those two cancel out, especially since in my White Sox or in my Philly stack, I had Reese Hoskins over Jose Abreu. Now that didn't work because Jose Abreu crushed, but like being able to make those kind of transfers, I still have the White Sox. I still have Freddie Peralta. I still have Derek Cole, but I paired it with a team that is very high leverage against the field where all these guys are only, you know, 5% owned. JT Real Muto, 5%, Reese Hoskins, 1%, like stuff like that. Combining those kinds of things, I do try to have that kind of a, a, a dichotomy um, when, when I'm building out my lineups. Unless it's like the Braves yesterday, they were the highest negative leverage at negative 75% because my models hated them. Um, and they were projected to be the second highest on stack. So I didn't have any Braves. I, I might have had one Braves. Um, but I mostly faded them entirely because that there was no reason, like they don't rate well in my models. They don't project well. They don't have a chance of being a top scoring team that I care about. And they're going to be highly owned. So like, those are the spots that I'll fade. Right. Like I, I, the, I was just going to, I was just going to say that, that the teams that I don't end up having 
are the ones that are over-owned and low probability. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. So, and also with the scope of how many of, of what of how many and what types of lineups you're building. Like what I mean by what I mean by low projected, it doesn't mean at the bottom, but it could mean that that a team is being owned at the th- third highest, but they're like the twelfth best stack. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, there's still 11 other bet. Like, like, I don't, I don't need to use them anymore. Like, right? they could be one-offs. I mean, if sing, if single players project well enough that they fit into lineup, sure. But those are the instances. I, I, at the bottom of the scale, if we take a look, uh, for instance, at let's see, can I find yesterday's slate IQ? You could always kind of do this by googling it. Rotogrinders, what was oh Sunday, Sunday, July, fourth. Slate IQ. Let's let's see if we can find it. Uh, MLB Slate IQ. Can we can we see? Okay, yeah. Here we go. Here we got it. Okay. Remember, I didn't play yesterday, so I, I have no context in anything that happened yesterday. But if we just this is for draft. This is for DraftKings. This goes by the Plate IQ projections and the RG ownership. So it's all based on that. So if we take a look. The concept, understand understanding the concept matters. So if we take a look here, I organized it by winner. So this is the, the percentage of time this team is the four or five hitter stack is in the winning lineup, okay? So yesterday, according to Slate IQ, the White Sox were 8.7%. The Braves were 6.9%. The Cubs were 6.2%. You could see it on the screen here. So the field is the average ownership of the four or five man stack. So the White Sox are 8.7% chance to win, but they'll be owned at 10.6% on average, which gives you an, a leverage score of like negative 17.9%. Okay. So now that would mean that they're slightly over-owned. Now the, the team, if you take a look at the leverage column, the team that has the highest shot the Cubs were 6.2% to win, 5.4% owned, which is a difference of 0.9% and a percentage of 16.5%. So we can see here Chicago, Toronto, and Milwaukee all were under-owned, according to Slate IQ, under-owned comparison to the field. Now, if we take a look at the bottom, okay, the bottom here, so like, Cleveland, 1.4% chance to win. They're going to be owned 1.6%, which is not that much different, but still slightly over-owned, but also look at where Cleveland is. They're at all, all, almost all the way towards the bottom, mm-hmm. right? So even the Mets, the Mets yesterday, 0.8% chance to win. Field, 0.6%. So they're, they're under-owned but also they're extremely low probability to win. So like while their leverage score would be 41.3%, you'd be like, oh, that's better than the Cubs, right? It's like, oh, the Cubs are 6.2% chance to win and 5.4% owned for only a 16.5% difference. Yeah, but the Cubs versus the the Mets, 6.2, we divide 6.2 into 0.8 into 0.8 the the cubs have like a like a like a like a uh, what five five more times likelihood of winning than the mets i mean it's i mean yeah yes so yes they are slightly under owned but would would i be playing in 50 lines would i go well let me jam in 20 met stacks well i mean you i mean they you could make plus ev lineups, but that would be the type of it doesn't win often, but when it does, it wins first place. But when it doesn't win first place, it doesn't even cash. So like, like yes, over 100,000 trials, it all equals out. But should you be making half your lineups with the Mets? Now, would you make two or three lineups out of 50 with the Mets? Maybe. One lineup? I mean, you could make zero. It wouldn't matter. You prioritize something else. But I'd be more likely to prioritize Milwaukee like these three teams in the middle, Chicago, Toronto, Milwaukee, based on these numbers, Cincinnati, right? And be light on Chicago, White Sox, Braves, Minnesota. And when I mean light, it doesn't mean X them out. It just means secondary stacks or five-man stacks that 
are, are you know, had Danny Mendick or whatever on the white side, you know, has a ninth hitter in it. So, because once you play like the 2% owned guy inside of the, the, the highest owned stack, it's no longer a 10.6% average owner. I mean, now your ownership goes down. You're playing the same team, but you're not playing the, the, the normal combination of those players. Right. But then on the bottom over here, when you see like the Padres on this list, 4% chance to win owned at 5.4% for a negative 26.8% uh, leverage. Now, the, the Padres, according to Slate IQ, is 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10th. 10th out of whatever, 18? It was yesterday. Now, that seems like the team that, there are teams that are that are lower owned that have higher percent chance to win. So this may be the instance where out of 50 liners, maybe you don't even have any Padres stacks, mm-hmm. right? Because they're low, lower probability and negative leverage. So it's like, why? That's like the worst of both worlds. Now, does that mean you, you don't have Tatis in your player? No, if you get a Padres one-off, you get a Padres one-off, right? That doesn't mean necessarily mean X them out. If if, if you're, if now, obviously if you're playing 5-3, well, obviously no, they, you're not, not going to have them in any, you're gonna have, not going to have them in any lineups. But if you're playing four, five, two, one, five, one, one lineups, four, three, one lineups, those types of things, doesn't mean don't take them out of your pool. If the, if, if the highest raw point shortstop is Tatis, and you're building some five, line, five, one, one, one lineup with two pitchers and like the best, the highest, once you get enough leverage, well, give me Tatis's raw points at shortstop or whatever his price is, then so be it. And that's that. That's what fits. But I think that. This doesn't mean you have to use slate IQ, but this is the concept that, that you're doing. So just because they're negative leverage, if they're high probability, that doesn't mean that you, you can't play them at all. It just means you have to make sure that the lineups that you play them in are properly leveraged to make up for the increased ownership, the over ownership of that stack and, and, and vice versa for the bottom. I see, I see plenty of people build lineups that have, if we ran this a million times, you'd probably bink a couple. You'd probably, it'd probably be plus EV, but you're realizing that EV and like really, I mean, really dramatic, even more so than normal, right? We always say aim for first place equity. That's what we're doing. But do you have to over leverage yourself where, yeah, when you win, you win by 40 points because no one has, no one, they look at this job. I'm going to play the Mets. I'm going to play the Mets Marlins combo. Like the two, two of the lowest probability teams, and be like, like yeah, they're also going to be the lowest owned. So yeah, if you want to play that five three of the Mets and the Marlins, right, with two 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 contrarian pitchers, it's like uh, sure you can, but the projection is going to be low, the win probability is going to be low, and it may still even be profitable after a hundred thousand trials, but it's only profitable because it probably binks one or two times. Mm-hmm and kind of breaks even everything else. And it's barely above the profitability line. It depends on, I mean, obviously depends on the individual lineups. I mean, sometimes you get these teams where there's, there's one 2K hitter that projects extremely well and it makes like the stack work better. So I don't know what happened yesterday, but this is, this is what we mean by picking teams. And it's also what I mean by diversification that like, I don't want to go, I, I personally, with the amount of the, the bankroll that I have, obviously I, I I play a smaller percentage, so I could be more risky. But even <laughs> then, I'm going to play like today on the uh, on this. There's a six dollar large field contest on DraftKings. I'm 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 likely I'm going to play 150 lineups. That's 900 bucks. Like whatever the chalk team is, it's not like I'm not going to have them. Mm-hmm. They're, they're the best team for a reason. Right? It doesn't mean I'm playing 50 lineups. No, I'm probably playing less lineups with the chalk than with off the wall, off the board types of stacks. But it doesn't mean I don't have them at all. Right? If we have uh, on, on today's slate, uh, maybe the Phillies, Phillies, Royals on DraftKings, they may be popular. Do we? Do we have? Do we have ownership yet? Oh, we kind of do. Okay, we do. I take a look at our current ownership. The Cubs. Looks like the Cubs are going to be owned. Yeah, because freaking Matt Moore, man. <laughs> okay, well, there we go. But but 
It doesn't mean I don't have the Cubs. Right. It just means that, like, I'll, I, if Chris Bryant's going to be 32% owned and Wilson Contreras is going to be 29% owned, let's take a look at the other Cubs. Right. Javier Bay, like, look, it's a lot of a condensed ownership on Bryant and Contreras. Who said you can't play Ian Half at 1% in your Cubs stack? Who will likely lead off. Well, if he leads off, it'll be more than 1% owned. I mean, we we have him currently projected eighth to hit. That's why he's only coming in at 1%. Yeah. But like, if we if we take a look at this order, like Rizzo lefty-lefty may actually be under-owned in this stack, right? A lot of this is coming in on Baez, Contreras, and, and Bryant. But you could play a Cub stack with Nico Horner if he starts at second base. There you go. You played the chalk stack and not the not the same combination. You pair that up with some, you know, lower Owen stack and, and you're good. And you're still playing the and you're playing the Cubs. And Brian and Contreras could be over still be over owned, but it could still be the highest projected players at their positions. That why why wouldn't you? You already have the leverage elsewhere. So just play the best play, just play the best plays the rest of your lineup. I see so many people being so concerned about, oh, you can't, can't play the Cubs over on, right? Can't play. They X them out. And the stack still, the stack doesn't get there, right? The five man on DraftKings doesn't get there, right? The Cubs, the Cubs win five, nothing, right? Or something. The stack doesn't get there, but Chris Bryant has, as a home run, right? Javi Baez has, you know, a stolen base and, and two doubles or something. And you're sitting there going, well, I have no bias in, in, in Bryant because they were they were overowned. It's like, well, their third it, it, Bryant ended ended up being the th- highest scoring third third baseman. It's like, so why couldn't he have just been the third baseman in some of your lineups where you're playing two percent on stacks? You may have won that had taken a zero there by some other other player in some other game, right? That's why that's why we talk about lineups, not players, right? Like not even st- not even the stacks. Right, you go. Okay, well, I'm not going to do. I'm not going to do players. I'm going to do teams. But I can't. I can't stack the the. I can't play the Cubs. They're going to overown. So I'll X them out and play something else and hope they fail. And then they fail. But two of their individual batters don't. Right, one of their individual. Someone you, know, you look on this and and, and Contreras at catcher has two home runs. Right, the rest of the team does nothing. The re- I mean, like Matt, the rest of the team, the Cubs win three to one on a solo shot and a two-run homer from Wilson Contreras at catcher at 30% owned. And you go, well, I I, I just, I, I thought, I made, and, and you think in your head, I made the right move. The Cubs were over-owned. The donkeys got there with Wilson Contreras. Like, well, why couldn't you play him as a one-off? Right? No, the, the Cubs did not get there. Anyone with a five-man Cubs stack is sitting there with Wilson Contreras having, you know, 30 points. And everyone else in single digits, so like they, they, it didn't get there. But your, the, the, your stubbornness on I cannot play negative EV players. Like, of course you can. You could still build lineups that have much, much more higher. Yes, your lineup uh, has more win equity than a Cubs stack, but the one-offs, the three mans, the two man, whatever, the secondary part. I think I think people fail too much on, on I care I care more more about what I'm doing in my primary side on both sides. When I play FanDuel and I'm playing four three one, I'm primarily allocating my lineups based on the four man stacks. Mm-hmm. The three man stuff is just, I want as many combos, so it's like I I like I almost I almost like even it out. I do the same thing. Right, I almost like I, the secondary parts of the lineups. I I almost want as even as possible. So if I'm if I'm playing ten percent of one primary stack, like I'm playing that ten percent with as many of the second, like as many of the secondary stacks that fit as possible. Yeah. Right. right. Rather than care about what my <laughs> allocation of secondary stuff is. If Wilson Contreras on this plane on DraftKings ends up fitting into forty two percent of my lineups, then that's just the way it. Then then that's what it should be. Then. If I'm playing, if I'm on DraftKings, I'm playing like five X. I'm just kidding. Obviously not five three, but like if you're playing like a five X type of type of thing, and he and he's the catcher. I mean, if we take a look at the slate, I mean, what the hell do we normally have a catcher? 
Okay, we actually have JT Romuto projects even better than that. And is cheaper, so he may be the chalk. And Michael like, Perez, who's awesome this year. Yeah, but actually, according to the bat, actually is, projects less than Real Muto and Contreras, at least currently. Well, that, yeah, and that makes sense because it's Zach Davies and Memoir. That right. makes sense. But I was saying if JT Real Muto is 3,800 and projects for almost 11 points, and he's going to end up being chalk, like, like who cares? He's the, right. he's, the, he's the guy as the one-off. He's the guy. He's the guy that fits. Like especially when the the disparity between players at the at a scarce position is so high. If we take a look at the bat projections for for catcher today. We have Remuto at ten point five, Contreras at about ten, Perez at nine point four, Grandal at eight point three. Then we have like three guys at seven, and then it just it just dips. Yeah. So it's like the difference between Remuto and Contreras is like. It's like three or four points higher than like any other catcher on the slate. And some of the catchers that are same price. I mean, like Narvaez and Stassi and, and Jeffers and Haas and Vasquez. I mean, these are all high 3K, low 4K catchers. Real Muto is 3,800 and projects for almost 11 points. So it's like for you to not play another catcher, you're just sacrificing four, three or four points in projection. Oh, but he's going to be high owned. Yeah, but how about the rest of your lineup? Well, the rest of my lineup is low on. So then play the best catcher. <laughs> and if you're playing 100 lineups, and, it, and, that, and that's what happens in 40 of the lineups, like, I don't care. Yeah, but you're playing a chalk. What do I care? The lineups are fine. Right? People get obsessed with this over the field, under the field crap. It's like, if the lineups are fine, what do I care? What do I care? Look at the individual lineup and go, well, should I be playing? I have 3,800 to spend at catcher. Everything else fits, makes sense. Am I not supposed to play the highest projected guy here when I already have a low owned line? When I already have a lineup that's low owned enough, then just play play that guy. That's it. So once you look at it individually, then it's like, well, I have 40 lineups like that. Oh, well, then, then so be it. Then, then you got 40 lineups like that. If the highest projected pitcher on the slate is, is, is six points higher than anything else, and you have 84% of them, then... Wait, what else are you supposed to do? Not not play the best lineups? Play the best lineups. I would push back on that a little bit. Uh, well, because having, I think that like the 40% example makes sense, but like anything over 40%, as soon as you start having that, especially on a chalk hitter, uh, I, I really, really try to avoid that. That being said, I play five, three, and four, four. I don't play one-offs. Right. So, so yeah, so you know you're you're never in that situation. No, I, I am never in that situation. But I, I also say not to try to put yourself in that situation. If it's like if you end up with if you end up with 60% Wilson Contreras today. Or real you, mute though. You you are more conservative than I am. So if you end up with 60% Wilson Contreras who projects for 30% ownership, you're okay with that. Well, I would never get to that point. I'm just saying that individually the lineups wouldn't be what your your caveat is what I was going to say next. Okay, all right, continue. That it, it. It's a matter of diver- now. Now you're talking about a matter of diversification. Like that's separating strategy with diversification is the individual lineups could be fun. Like let's say you're building lineups with low own. You're picking low own teams for your primary stack. You're playing five x. Okay, I'm not. You're playing. You're not all five x, but mostly five x. Right. We'll get yeah. into. So you're going through and you're like, this lineup's good, this lineup's good, this lineup's good, this line, and they all have uh, Remuto in the lineup or whatever, the highest projected catcher who's going to be mega owned. Uh, all that all that means is that your 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 allocation of 100, 150 lineups, whatever amount of lineups, is highly variant on that one player, mm-hmm. and the player is going to be high owned. So it doesn't even gain you that much. Like that, pl- that player's only in there because he has a high projection. Mm-hmm. Your, le- your lineups are already leveraged enough. Well, one thing you could do is play lineups that aren't as, le- uh, that aren't as, uh, that are even more leveraged, uh, aren't as leveraged enough where playing Real Muto in those lineups wouldn't even make sense. So you'd play, you'd play some other lineups. So to me, what, what you're, what, it's not, neither is a, like that. That's what, that's, what's hard to explain James, right. that it's not a mistake. The individual lineups, the expected, it, one of the biggest things 
that you need to wrap your head around is that you could build on today's slate 45,000 lineups that have almost the same exact expected value. Now, the distribution of their outcomes may be different, but over the course of 100,000 trials, their, their range of, of expected value on average is about the same, right? Or within a certain range. I Maybe mean, I'm exaggerating on today's slate because it's nine games. Maybe not 45,000, but a lot, thousands. Uh, that doesn't mean you have to play that distribution. It doesn't mean you have to play. If you're going to, I'm going to play 50 lineups. It doesn't mean you have to play all the same ones that have the same distributions. It also doesn't mean you have to play ones with different distributions. If we played this out 100,000 times, you'd end up with the same amount of money either way. The problem is, you're not going to be playing it 100,000 times. <laughs> So maybe you could find, James, you're building 50 lineups, 50, 50 lineups that use JT Ramuto as catcher. That if you simulated it out, have X EV. And they all have the same EV, right? They all have the same within marginally different, right? Yeah. But now you're 100% JT Ramuto, right? Now, if you played it out 1,000, who cares? The EV of the lineup is the EV lineup. If I told you I could find you 25 lineups that don't have JT Rolimuto that have about the same expected value. And now, now you play those lineups with 25 JT Rolimuto lineups, you still have the same expected value, just that now, now you're only 50% on, on one batter. Yet right. your lineup set as a whole still is the same, still has about the same expected value. So the difference is that one is less variant than the other one. It's the same expected value, but it's more diversification. That's the difference between strategy and diversification. You could find 50 non JT real muto lineups that have the same expected value that have a similar range, which one. And then someone will ask James, given the choice, which, which one is best. And there is no way that there's no such thing as best. They're they're mm-hmm. all the same mathematically. The the set of fifty that you made, you have a you have a set of fifty. You have three three versions, a set of fifty that has fifty JT Romuto lineups, a set that has zero JT Romuto fifty with no JT Romuto, and then one with twenty five and twenty five. And people would go, well, maybe the twenty five twenty five is the best. And the answer would be, you're wrong. They're all three are re- all three are still equal to each other, right? Mathematically, yeah, all three are equal. If you played this out, it, it, you'd end up with the same amount of money either way. But the difference is, is that you're more diversified in the middle one, so your risk goes down, mm-hmm. right? Because actually, you're playing lineups that are actually hedged against one another, right? Right. So technically, technically, so. The range, even if it's marginal, actually you're sacrificing expected value. That middle one may actually have a slightly lower one because if JT Realmuto does well, that means half your lineups are dead. Right. And if JT Realmuto does poorly, that means half your lineups are dead. In the other two cases where you're going either all in or all out, those lineups are more correlated to one another. And obviously when we talk about lineup correlation, just in your lineup, correlation increases your variance so really the only difference is is that the middle one when you have half and half is lower variance now if you're playing less percentage of your bankroll you could you could you could be toler you could be more tolerant of risk meaning if you want to just say screw it i'm exiting out real muto go for it if you're playing a higher percentage of your bankroll maybe maybe you're more risk averse be like maybe if there if all of these lineups are equal as it is, why don't I just play a more diversified set? So in the case that he does go off, at least I have lineups that are that could win. And if he doesn't, I also I have lineups without him that could win also. They compete and they're competing against one another. But I'm more likely if I put in 50 bucks with the first and the third one all in and all out. You're more likely to, when you put in 50 bucks, you may get 85 or six, right? 
something back or whatever. In the middle one, you may end up with like 54, 46, right? Because either it does well or something. And you always have you know, some lineup in there. But none of, the, between those three, none of them are the, there's no, there's no correct answer to that, right? That's all in relation to the risk that you're, that you're taking in your lineup portfolio. So it's quite possible that me and you can build a lineup portfolio on this slate of 50 lineups each. And it's quite possible that our lineups could look dramatically different Yet our complete lineup set, if we simulated it out, would end up coming very close to one another. Yeah. From an expected value standpoint. Yeah. You could pick completely different stacks from me. You could choose to you could choose to X out J Tum. I could choose to play him in all of my lineups. And you we we run a simulation a hundred thousand times of the slate. And your lineup, your 50 set and my 50 set, it's quite possible. The expected value ends up being, you know, the, the return ends up being literally the same. So I win some trials, you win other trials, and it goes like this. And at the end, there's a number, and it's like, oh, me and James, uh, yeah, if we played this out enough, where our lineups were as strong as one another, even though they look yeah. different. I mean, that's 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 the core of what we're talking about, right? So when people yeah. think in terms of, do I fade? Do I play? Do I play? You know, a single player. It's like it has to be in relation to. To your lineup, it has to be relation into your portfolio of lineups, even, and then it has to be in relation to your risk tolerance. Where it's like, sure, you, yeah, yeah. If you want to, you want to, if you want to, if you want to hit the lock button, go, go for it. Just build good, just build good JT Remuto lineups. And if you want to hit the X button, fine, hit the X button. Just build good non-JT Remuto lineups, right? The non-JT Remuto lineups. If let's say he's going to be whatever a million percent owned probably look a little bit chalkier, mm-hmm. right? That's it. Pretty much that's the only, like if, you, if you're going to play a, a, a low owned, they're going to, they're going to be a lot of, a lot of lower owned stacks in those lineups in the JT Romuto lineups in the non JT Romuto lineups. You may, you may be playing the chalkier stacks, right? Cause you already got leverage by fading the, the chalk one-off catcher. Right. Yep. So, I mean, if you were to look at this slate individually, like, if you planned on playing JT Real Muto, um, or if you plan on playing Wilson Contreras, or if you plan on playing Chris Bryant was the other like super high owned guy, you're likely going to need to come up with pairing them with the lower owned stacks, right? With uh, as we're looking at it, it kind of looks like the Brewers will be low owned. Uh, it looks like Texas is always low owned, stuff like that you're going to have to come up with these lower on stacks to pair them with so that you can end up cancel or evening out the leverage that you have on the slate. If you were to fade those guys, if instead of playing them, you fade them, now you can expose yourself to some of the like middle own stacks. You know, you can expose yourself to say the Padres, or you can expose yourself to, I don't know, the, the twins maybe will be popular on the slate. Maybe you have the Phillies, but you don't have JT Real Muto, but you have Bryce Harper and you have Dean Shigura and, and those kind of guys. So I think that you, when you look at it that way, that's one of the other reasons why I do prefer to fade uh, heavy chalk is because then I can expose myself to higher owned lineups and higher owned pieces of these kind of secondary pieces. And that's something that we see a lot with NFL as well is like, when you see the teams that have a total of like 52 uh, and over under 52, and those, those teams have like an aggregate of, I don't know, 110% ownership or something like that. And then you see the team, the game that has an over under 49 and their aggregate ownership is only like 65 or something like that. We're, we're talking two points. We're talking two points and an over under. Um, if you fade <coughs> super high owned piece or pieces of that 52 of that 52 over under game, you can expose yourself higher to the pieces of the 49 game because those, those players are not going to be highly owned and they have a similar ceiling. They have a similar projection. They have a similar median outcome and likely similar standard deviations as well, but you are able to eat the better pieces of that game because you faded the better or quote unquote best pieces of the top owned game 
So, that, I mean, that extends across sports. You know, you can talk about it for MLB, talk about it for NFL. You can talk about it with any of that. The core concept of there is this high-owned piece or high-owned pieces of these games. If you are avoiding one or two of them, you can have a lot more exposure to the secondary chalk, to the third piece chalk, where these guys are going to be like 10 to 15% owned. You know, the White Sox, maybe 10, 15% owned. Um, the Red Sox, we're, we're looking at it, you know, 10 to 15% owned. Well, on. Here's a, I think the Red Sox are a perfect example. We Right now, obviously this ownership doesn't mean anything at this at this right. early. But for the example. For the example. On the Red Sox, uh, Bogarts, 28%. Dalbeck batting eighth at 25% on DraftKings because he's 2,800 facing Suarez. Uh, all the other guys, Kiki, 15%. Verdugo, seven. Martinez, nine. Devers, because it's lefty-lefty and he's 5,600, 4%. Vasquez, five. Danny Santana, five. Mm-hmm. Who says you can't play a Boston stack without Bogarts and Dalbeck? Yeah. I mean, you could, you could easily, and then... Take that sh- the money that you that you're not spending fifty five hundred at shortstop with, and you're playing. I mean, you're playing Baya. You're playing the Cubs. I mean, you you could you could literally you could play the Cubs, and Boston, and still be and still and still be leveraged. And and these are these are the higher the two highest owned stacks, right? And in aggregate, and you could play Baya's instead of Bogarts. And you could play Rizzo instead of Dalbeck. And then, like, you're playing Rafael Devers instead of Chris Bryant. Bryant, right. And you're still playing both of the same exact teams. And, and your then, lineup is half as owned. And then you can play... We'll you can play anyone you want at that point. At 40% owned. Then it doesn't matter because the rest of the stack is, is in the 4% range. Right. And you're still... Play- and then what ends up happening, what you hope that ends up happening, is that both teams go off. And Chris Bryant is the one with nine points, right? It's not saying he does poorly because it's the team does well, but it's like, he's the one that got on base twice. He walked twice and scored a run while Javi Baez had two home runs. Right. Right. Where Bogart still got on base, but Devers has a three run bomb, but Bogart is still just sitting there with seven points. Right. Like, yeah, he was part of the stack and maybe Vasquez you're playing Vasquez over Contreras. Right. So, and then Vasquez has a home, has a home run and you and all the other people are sitting there with their, their Bryant Bogarts, Dalbeck, Boston, Chicago Cubs lineups going, what the hell happened there? It's like, I got the two, I got the two teams that put up eight plus runs, but though the, the highest owned pieces weren't the pieces that you needed. Now that's a perfect world of the highest owned pieces of two stats. That would be hilarious. Right. Don't get there. But that's the concept. That's like, oh, well, now. So when you when when someone says, oh, well, I played Boston, Chicago, I played I played the Red Sox and the Cubs today. You go, what are you, chalk donkey? You're an idiot. It's like, well, you can't you can play them. And still and still have a leveraged low enough own lineup. And if you if you happen to be including a Bogarts or a Bryant or Contreras, then maybe 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 you're 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 looking now at the pitcher pool going. Uh, I'm gonna play. I'm gonna play Martin Perez for no apparent reason. Eight thousand. <laughs> that's gonna be one percent owned, and he has a he has a twenty four point game. I'm not saying that that's gonna happen, but it's like then then you have to start looking for how how do you how do you find that leverage in the rest of your lineup. But the team that's why the, these these on slate IQ, this field number is just the average ownership. Like ten point six for the White Sox yesterday. Like I'm I assume if you played you could have played the White Sox in a weird way. And been just just the average stack ownership would have been lower than some of these other teams if you played like the main pieces of those. If you played the main pieces of the twins, like it would have been the same as playing the weirder pieces of the White Sox. Right. The same thing today with the Cubs and the Red Sox. Like, oh, do I go do I go off the board and I do do I play? Who I mean, I don't even know who's gonna be low owned if i go i'm gonna play the the nationals against musgrove or something it's like is that necessary like like you could literally you could play the cubs and the red sox maybe not as low owned as the nationals because now i'm picking like one of the the lowest owned teams on the slate 
but probably just as low owned as like the White Sox today. Right, the White Sox, we right now we have on DraftKings 14, 8, 4, 5, 11, 8, like that range of ownership. Like that sounds like all the other pieces of the Red Sox and the Cubs that aren't those mega 30% owned guys. So you could, you could still make a lineup with that if it, if it projects well enough. Yeah. I mean, obviously I'm going to be giving up some projection, but hopefully not, you're not giving up 30 points in projection to do so. But to me, that's what I mean by diversification. It's not just, it's not like, well, now I'm just going to play, I'm going to play chalk combination this and I'm going to play low on combination that. And just, so I, I'm not looking to cover my bases. I'm just looking, I'm just looking to have as much coverage of the instances that I need without singling out specific players or specific teams to like, like I, like it, it, it would be, it would be stupid of me. I mean, it'd be mathematically ignorant to say on today's slate that the, like, if we take a look at where's the projections, if we take a look at the ownership, like in Brian Contreras, Bogarts, Dalbeck, right? Ben Attendee. Okay, but it's it's Cubs, these two Cubs guys. It'd be mathematically stupid of ignorant for me to say, well, you can't play the Cubs, they're too over. Just X out the Cubs. They can't you can't play Chris Bryan in a plus EV lineup. Of course you can. You can't play Contreras in a plus EV lineup. Of course you can. You can't play Bogarts in a plus EV lineup. Of course you can. It's harder to. That's why yeah, that that's why working with and looking at those individual lineups matters. Right. Once you have experience hand building lineups like that, it's it's quite easy to use settings on an optimizer in order to get them in the lineups that you need them to be in, or most likely to be in. You know, it's a super easy setting to use in Lineup HQ to like try to just do that without doing anything else. You can go into the build rules and you can change the max allowed ownership on stacks to like 120. And like, if you do that, you're probably going to have to end up on some of the lower owned pieces of those stacks because if, I mean, this is considering usually with my projections, the highest owned pitchers are usually the highest projected. So I will go in there and I'll do that because I know that I'm going to have shot pitchers. It's it's pretty rare for me to be super exposed to low owned pitchers, except like yesterday, I, I liked Robbie Ray a lot, but I'll do this and I do that so that I can just run things and see, okay, this is kind of what I need to be able to do in order to have these chalk stacks. Like I have, if I want to have under that threshold of 120%, I'm going to end up with no Bobby Dahlback. I'm going to end up with no Xander Bogans. You know, I'm going to end up with differences. So that's something. Okay. If we take a look here using the bat projections, we get a lot of Phillies. Okay. So I just ran it as five X. So the top lineup, five-man stack, is a 43% owned Musgrove, a 23% owned Tyler McGill, a five-man uh, Padre stack with Bryant, Baez, and Benatendi. Now, we have Benatendi at 20% owned, 32 for Bryant, 14 for Baez, Segura 23 Right, Hoskins and Odebel Herrera and Harper are low and a lower owned, but Musgrove's forty three. You see right here, we have a lot of a lot of Philly stacks. Yeah. Okay, uh, the total ownership is one eighty four, which is disgusting. I mean, it's not that bad, but it's it's still high. One nineteen point seven five is the projection. So, but look at the lineup right underneath it, right literally right underneath it. One point one one 119.73. So it's a difference of 0.02 points. This total ownership is 154. So you're losing 30 percentage points in ownership and you're barely giving up any projection. Same, it's the same. Now, now McCutcheon over Herrera. You still have Musgrove McGill. But now instead of the Cubs, you have Dozier at third and Tatis at shortstop. Mm-hmm. So basically, basically, you're you're giving up those the, the Bryant, but he yes he's thirty two percent owned, but he doesn't project that much better. He still projects better than this lineup, but not so much that you can't find a combination that is now lower owned at one fifty four, right? We can scroll down here, 
Do we see anything at one, 147? Here's one with Ryan, basically that same lineup, but no Harper. You're playing Riley at third base. And Instead Kobe of playing Allard. McGill, you're playing Colby Allard. Yeah. Right? It's still playing Tatis and Benatendi. So you take a look at these lineups. 147, 146, here's a 147, here's a 143 at 117.9. So once I take a look at some of these lineups, like this is just me putting in what the, this is like the projection chalk type of lineups. 134. So maybe I want to find lineups that are more like that 134 lineup. Right? So I'm going through, going through, going through. Okay, so 134 <laughs> was the lowest, yeah. right? I mean, it's so it's so easy to just go in here and type in 134. There you go. Right? It's like I found two lineups that are that low-owned and still project well. Let me see if I could find more that are five-man stacked. They're probably still going to end up being – now you have to look for non-Phillies ones, but I mean, now I'm going to just – I'm just I'm not going to build a whole 100. I'm just going to build, you know, 20, 25, Right? So here we go, 118.06. The bottom one is 115.8. Okay, so we're still fine. Yep. Now we find ones at 128, 125, right? We're going down here, 124. Here's one, 124. It's a 5-3 Musgrove-Allard, and it's a 5-3 Phillies-Royals. Merrifield, Dozier, Benatendi. And you're playing Gregorius now at shortstop instead of Segura at second, and you're playing McCutcheon over Herrera. 117.09 117.09 at 124. That's nice. Right. This, what's wrong with this lineup? And you're able to play a chalk Joe Musgrove because look at the ownership of your lineup. You're not playing any Cubs and you're not playing any Red Sox. Right. Are there any lineups with Cubs or Red Sox in here in this set that I made? I doubt bias, it. A little bias. But that's the only way that you'll, that you're, you're able to, to get your ownership down. But let's say, for instance, I X out Joe Musgrove, right? Just for a, just a for instance thing, not saying that you would do it because he's currently, Woodruff and Musgrove are the two highest because Musgrove's 8,700. He allows you to fit stuff in. Right. So now if I X out Joe Musgrove at 43% ownership, now that total from 134 could go down even lower, but it also gives me the option now, I'm assuming I may get some Cubs and Red Sox. You'll get some Because in order to make up the projection, maybe it's going to use hitters instead. We'll take a look. Without Musgrove in this lineup, we'll probably get some more. We'll probably get McGill-Allard pay-up with Tatis. I guess we're going to get a bunch of those. I could see. Yeah, here, Tatis is in a ton. Right, McGill. Now we're getting a lot of real Muto. Right, here's Rizzo. Here's Bryant. See here, Bryant. Bryant didn't even come up in the last run. But now that we're not playing Musgrove, now to fit it under 134 projected ownership, now we now now you're able to use him, right? Because now lineup's not players. It's able to put him in. Right, so if we take a look at a Chris Bryant lineup right here. Let's see, the top Chris Bryant lineup is a still a five-man Phillies because that's all we're getting. Bryant at third, Fernando Tatis at short, and Ben Gamble at 2,000. McGill Allard, right? Spends 49-2. It leaves 800 on the table. But Ben Gamble's 2,001% don't, according to our projections. So this would be fun. This, what's wrong with this lineup? And you're Nothing. playing shock Chris Bryant. Yep. Is there any any Contreras? And yeah, this here's I found a Contreras lineup. Right, here's a Contreras lineup. McGill Allard, <clears throat> Dozier, Tatis, Contreras, and the Philly stack. Man, Allard kind of seems like he's going to be popular, doesn't he? Well, against the Tigers at 7900, he doesn't have much strikeout ability. I don't know. Yeah, and the Tigers are Tigers are not that bad. And the Tigers are probably better than the Mets. No, nah, they're probably better than the Mets. Right. But this is just the example of the, this is what I'm showing you of the example of lineups, not players. You could find low owned lineups that project well that you could play in large field GPPs and you could play Bryant lineups. You could play non-Bryant lineups. You could play real mutual lineups. You could play non-real mutual lineups. 
But the only way to get your leverage, your ownership all the way down is very, very, very similar to what we say about small field GPPs. It's like, okay, Musk, there's going to be a chalk pitcher. There's going to be a chalk stack and there's going to be a chalk one-off. Like if it's a large field GPP, fade two of them. If it's a small field GPP, fade one of them. And then pretty much do whatever the hell you want. Yep. Like it's it's the same. It's that in that's a very broad based way of what we're showing the details of. It's a very easy way to think about it, though. That's that's what I tell people to do. Just just think about there. There's three points of leverage that you have to think about: top on pitcher, top on secondary pitcher, top on stack. Just think about them. If you're in a large field, drop two. If you're in a small field, drop one. That's it. Just that's it. And then build whatever and build whatever higher projected lineup you can. Yeah. And just move on. And there you go. And there you go. And build the second one and build a third one and build a and you can, whatever two that you fade in that lineup doesn't have to be the same two in each lineup. Right. And then hedge and then later on have one of those two and then fade the other one. Right. Well, the other, and then right. The one that you have the most of of those three points, find find a way to hedge against him. Like right. Oh, the negative correlation of that. There you go. Right. If must like for instance, if you're going to play, here's, I'm going to play Musgrove. Let's say in this example, it's Musgrove, Phillies, right? We're getting a ton of Phillies and, and Chris Bryant. It's like, well, one lineup you're fading Musgrove, but in another lineup, why don't you play the stack against him? Yeah. Right. Like if, if you have 60%, if I like run later and I have 60% Musgrove, which might happen, I, I would consider myself insane if I didn't have some national stacks. If you want, like, if you want, if you want to hedge, if you want to diversify, more. which which I would, I, if I have sixty percent of somebody, that's usually what I do. But that, I mean, that's me, of course. Like I, I would want some national stacks in that instance. And like, if I have a whole bunch of Phillies, I probably am gonna want like a single Davies lineup, maybe just in case it goes completely wrong. I, I just like that's that's my favorite way to think about diversification. Take those leverage points. Look at what you are heavily, heavily relying on. Find a way to make sure that you cover at least a couple of those bases, and then just build good lineups. That's all. Right. I mean, but that's very similar to mo- that's that's what hedge funds do. That's why they're called hedge. Funds. Right. That's why they're called. That's why they're called hedge funds. Right. <laughs> right. I mean, that's the whole point of the options market. That's the whole point of all. That's what's the use of it is. It's like when you're overweight to certain positions. And you need to you need to mitigate risk. Yep. So you use another financial instrument in order to do so. Yep. So that's what you're doing in your lineup. It's very similar to finance. Okie doke. Uh, paydirt underscore DFS on Twitter. Yes. Paydirtdfs.com. Yes. I know you, you you post on Twitter a bunch of a bunch of model stuff <laughs> that you're doing over there. Yeah, uh, I have you know. Esports is still going to be going strong, even with NBA finishing up here pretty soon. We're going to have esports all the way through the summer. Obviously, we have uh, baseball. I just finished a new piece of my baseball model with the uh, the pitcher range of outcomes now. So I'm measuring out all of the probable ranges of outcomes for hitters now or for pitchers, which is really cool. And uh, getting started on some offseason NFL stuff, which should be done by the end of the week. So I'll have that up on the site as well. I, I don't I don't think about NFL until the Thursday before week one. I'm going to start grinding best balls really hard next week. No, I didn't know what I'm, what, what I need to do is I need to play pre uh, we get preseason this year. I hate preseason NFL. Oh no, no, no. You have to play pre, you have to play preseason cash games. I hate it. You got to play preseason cash games. People don't know what they're doing. I should play cash. I should play. Right. I mean, like the, the only reason I do it is because I mean, you'll literally that there'll literally be news on Friday that, you know, like the first team won't even be playing. Yeah. Right. And then you'll still get, you know, David Montgomery, 12% owned. I mean, like, I, like it, it, you just what you just wonder like how, what the hell's going on, especially like the showdowns. And then you'd like on the showdowns for, for a preseason cat, you just like, give me the, give me like, you could play like four quarterbacks and two defenses and then like you cash, like, there you go. That's all you need. Right, because no one's going to be playing more than a quarter. I'm barely over a quarter. So why are you playing running backs and wide receivers? Right. You only play the play the the one quarterback's going to play one half, the other quarterback's going to play the second half. You play both teams, and the defenses play the whole game, no matter who's in. And there you go. I mean, it's not exactly that 
that easy with the kickers because that there's not going to be some you know the secondary kicker or something. It's going to be one kicker. But that's the but to me that's the I don't know if that, that does that edge still exist. I mean the last time I played it did. I can't I'm, imagine I'm double ups and people are like they're playing wide receivers that that literally play a quarter and get get two passes and like right. Like how how'd you expect how'd you expect to get there? And then you see all the all the players that are just like someone is legitimately playing, you know, the starting running back that it, that has literally been said two days before will not be dressing for the game. Right. And he'll be like eight to ten percent old. Yeah, I sh- I should play cash games. You're right. I should. I don't that's, have what, that's that's the only reason. But typically, yeah. I don't. I, I wait until a Thursday before week one before I figure out who's on what team. Right. Like that, I don't even know. I mean, I do that for baseball also. I just like, oh, Lindor's on the Mets now. Oh, when did that happen? Yeah, must like, be oh, nice he got his big this big contract that, that obviously is not worth it. Must be nice, Mister doesn't build his own models. Uh, I kind of have to care. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's why I don't. I don't. That's that's why. It, that's why I don't need to care. I know. Okay, uh, click the uh, uh, the like button, thumbs up button on your way out the door. Uh, subscribe button if you're new here. Notification bell to know when we go live. Got Grinders live later today. Nine game slate, nine game slate. No, no weather concerns. I don't think so. Seems like all green on the weather. And uh, try to put these try to put these thought processes into play. It's nothing any anything different than we talk about. I mean, when it's not like we repeat the same thing over and over again, just in different ways. So uh, we'll cover today's slate tomorrow. See what happens. Let's let's see what uh, what chalk gets there. What chalk doesn't get there. Let's see if I could possibly have the right combination uh, tomorrow. Let's see what happens, and then we'll re- we'll review it tomorrow and talk more of DFS strategy as we always do here at eleven o'clock in the morning Eastern for the DFS pregame show on RotoGrinders.com.